0: show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. And we're talking today with Haley Stewart. This is your fourth time on the show. Haley, thanks for being with us today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.
0: You can find all those other episodes by going to OutsideTheWalls.com. And in the right-hand uh, column, you see all the names of the guests who have come before. Find Haley. You're the only H I've in the whole list. <laughs> uh, I, I've passed by it a couple of times. I'm like, We're, I know that she's been here before. But lo and behold, there is one solitary H. It's Haley Stewart. Click on that you can find the other episodes. Uh, but a lot has changed uh, I think the last time we had you on was uh, trying to figure out how were we going to celebrate Easter in the middle of the pandemic. And it was, uh, it was a, a challenge that first time around. Um, but the pandemic brings all kinds of changes, including uh, some positive ones. So I want to talk a little bit about this, this new thing. I uh, came across the announcement for the fellows for the Word on Fire Institute. And lo and behold, I recognized a name. I recognized a couple of names, but you're in fantastic company. Um, Tell us a little bit about what the Word on Fire Institute is, and then we'll get into the other questions here in a bit.
1: Sure. Well, the Word on Fire Institute is connected to Bishop Barron's Word on Fire ministry, and the Institute's goal is to form a community of lay evangelists, so to equip Catholics to be able to share their faith, to grow in their faith, and to lead the culture with beauty, truth, and goodness to Christ. So mm-hmm. that's the goal of the institute. There are so many great people on their staff, and they're doing great things. And they have um, this fellowship program. They have fellows, who are people who kind of collaborate with them, creating content for them, um, writing for them. And this year I get to be one of those people, which has been fabulous. So I was a fellow this past year, and then I'll be a fellow for this next year. It's kind of a 12-month sort of thing. Um, And so I'm writing for the War on Fire blog, creating um, some content, some video content for them. Last year I created a liturgical living video course for their institute members, and now that you know, has gone through post production, they everything they make it beautiful. So they spend lots of time on on production. Now that's available to Institute members. It's um, almost the whole series of that video is out. And um, I'm also this the new thing that I'm doing for them is organizing an Institute book club for for all the Institute members who are interested in reading and growing in faith with books.
0: One of the things that I've uh, come to know about the Word on Fire ecosystem is that they don't do anything by halves. Everything that comes out is is beautifully presented. It, it really uh, shows that Bishop Barron is really dedicated to those transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty, and making sure that everything that comes out lives up to that. Uh, so, you know, whether you've whether your first time seeing Bishop Barron, way back when he was Father Barron, was the Catholicism series, or, you know, some people who are listening, maybe their whole exposure to Word on Fire may be the little memes that come out on all the feast days that get posted all over social media, but there's always this uh, dedication to excellence. Um, And that shows in in the fellows as well, everyone from of course, Haley Stewart, but uh, Father Paul Murray, who's a Dominican, fantastic. A uh, Steve Bolivant, who has, uh, has still has the best title of any book of how to talk about the Trinity without being a heretic. Right? Um, th- it really is kind of the the cream of the crop brought together in this uh, in this fellowship. Um, but for those who don't know, you mentioned that this video series that you did on liturgical living is for the Word on Fire Institute members. Um, what, what is this part of the Word on Fire Institute and the Word on Fire ecosystem?
1: Sure. So um, you can join this Word on Fire Institute and there are thousands of members of the Institute and then you have access to the whole Word on Fire digital library. So the Catholicism series you mentioned is part of that, all of the video, um, as well as these video courses that are created by fellows of the Institute and staff of the Institute. And um, so there's just a huge library of resources for Institute members. And it's kind of like a subscription, like Netflix or something like that. But when you subscribe to it, you're getting all of this content from Word on Fire. And then you also have access to these groups within Word on Fire, the book club being one of them, forums to discuss the journal, the courses. The journal is, I don't know if you've seen a copy of the journal, but it is stunning. So it's a print publication that comes quarterly with incredible articles. It is the most beautiful publication out there. (laughs) It's the most beautiful publication I get in my mailbox. And um, so all of that is part of the Institute and kind of the resources to help form lay evangelists in the world.
0: So let's talk a little bit uh, on your on your bio there in the fellows section. It says that you're a neglectful blogger over at Carrots for for Micklemas, which is where I first encountered you. Uh, but you're doing a lot of blogging and a lot of writing still. Uh, it's just being done now through the institute.
1: That's right. So I just don't have time to keep up my little blog. Um, so a lot of my writing now when I have an idea because I have limited writing time I'll, I'll send it over to Elizabeth Scalia who is the incredible editor over at the Word on Fire blog and say would this work for the Word on Fire blog I just had this idea so I'm doing a lot of my writing there and then my other writing time is all taken up with book projects which has been great but I'm I'm now wrapping up a few book projects so hopefully I'll have little more breathing space to maybe go back to the old blog. But also (laughs) I've noticed a lot of a lot of the bloggers I've read for a long time, like, you know, dinosaur bloggers who blogged 10 (laughs) years ago, they've all moved to email so either Uh Substack or, or something like that. So I'm thinking, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe I should, maybe I should do what the cool kids are doing and move to Substack at some point. But right now this, the blog is still up. It's just hanging out without any new content. Yeah.
0: The last book that you wrote, um, the, the Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture, it came out of this growing period of your life and some some decisions that you and your husband made together. What is your growing edge right now? What are the things that are kind of unfolding to you that that just bring you excitement in your faith life?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like for a lot of people and for us, the lockdown season of COVID is a time of Mm self-reflection where you're going, okay, we have this pause, this retreat from normal life. Was it opportunity to think about What do we want our lives to look like? What do we really need to be pursuing? What's important and what's not? And so my family kind of stepped back and said, hey, maybe we should restructure our our work life, family life balance and who's doing, who's putting in the hours and how that's working. So actually our our life has changed a lot since before COVID because now I'm working basically full-time as a writer And my husband, who's a whiskey distiller, has cut back to part time and is the primary homeschooling parent now. So our kind of home life has shifted around a bit as I work from home or the coffee shop. And he's primarily homeschooling our four kids. But then also I feel like our COVID, it was also a time where I feel like everyone's faith life was kind of thrown into a little bit of chaos as we're separated from the sacraments for a time and then figuring out how to come back. And I think for me, I gained such an appreciation for the gift of the Eucharist, the Mm -hmm. gift of the sacraments. And um, just, I think seeing the, the different ways that COVID brought out the best and worst in people seeing, okay, we, we need to be a place of, great charity and i i was just i i had this image today because my family got to go to confession tonight and i was remembering last summer mm-hmm. in the texas heat our priests standing outside in the afternoon you know it's 105 degrees and yeah. their investments outside so they can safely offer the sacrament of reconciliation to their flock and just What a beautiful image. I mean, that's like real suffering to be out there for, you know, an hour, two hours in 105 degree heat, just so you can make sure that your flock can receive the grace of the sacrament and making that um, being present and also trying to make people safe and just the beauty of that kind of care, which unfortunately, I feel like not everybody received. You know, we've heard a lot of stories about different people's experiences but just kind of getting back to those basics of the beauty of the sacraments and the power of the sacraments and the charity we need as Catholics to navigate the chaos of the world. Yeah.
0: We're talking today with Haley Stewart, who is a fellow at the Word on Fire Institute. Learn more at wordonfire.institute. It's not a .com. Wordonfire.institute. Haley, one of the things that I've seen um, is over the last several years, sociologists and theologians have all been really interested in this question of what is the average everyday Catholic? Uh, what, what's their belief in the Eucharist and in the sacraments? And there have been really some startling numbers uh, looking at how low the percentage is of those who who have a deep understanding of the sacraments. One of the things that I've seen in COVID uh, is a, a real defining and, and clarifying place in, in a lot of people's lives. In the one sense, you've got people who have, have held to the Eucharist and knew that it was something important. Now seeing it a little bit more clearly for what it is, but you also have a whole host of people. And I think this comes back to your, your um, statement of the need for charity, a whole host of people who maybe they didn't understand it before. And now it just doesn't make any sense at all. Why would I, why would I take the time to go do this thing Uh, to go sit in this place where I don't necessarily feel welcome, uh, to participate in this thing that I don't really believe in. Um, What do you see as, for us ordinary lay Catholics, as a path forward to be lights and yet to be charitable lights and not pushy lights, inviting people into the depth of the mystery?
1: Mm. Well, as as you're asking that question, I thought of two things. One is practical ways of offering faith in the Eucharist to others. I was thinking about Corpus Christi mm-hmm. just a few weeks back. There's a beautiful procession around kind of the pretty large parish campus, and um, that kind of you know, walked through the neighborhood. It's a, definitely a neighborhood parish. And it was just beautiful. And I was thinking, gosh, we need to do more Eucharistic processions just so people see and think, that's weird. What's happening there? I'd like to know more about that. And as a reminder to us that, no, we really believe that we're bringing Jesus out into the world. Um, But then beyond the beauty of these kinds of things like Eucharistic procession, remembering that if we have just received the Eucharist, then we're kind of a walking Eucharistic procession, walking out of the church every week. And I was thinking about, I'm gonna completely butcher this quote from Dorothy Day. So I'm, not, I'm just gonna paraphrase it because I, I know I'm not gonna get it right. But I, I saw this a few times this week, this quote from her that really struck me. And it's just something something to the effect of the real scandal to people about the church. Is that as Catholics we are receiving what we say is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then the way we are engaging with the world is not is not the way of love, yeah. and that what could be more damaging to someone's belief in the Eucharist than to see Catholics engaging in the world without charity, um, and so I think that that is another you know the the beauty of these traditions like Eucharistic procession, that's so powerful, but we're going to get nowhere (laughs) if we don't have charity.
0: Well, and I, this is something that has come up on the show a couple of times, but I do wonder if a lack of charity has its, has its foundation as a lack of faith that yes, Mm -hmm. we have faith in the Eucharist and we have faith that, that Christ is present with us. And yet when we leave and go out into our conversations and into our interpersonal relationships, we lack the faith that God is in control of those situations and that he is in control of the outcomes of those situations. And and I think that we think that we have to muscle through and create the outcome that we wish to see and somehow have to take control of it rather than in charity saying, you know, let it be done according to your word. I can sit back and let this take play out the way it's going to play out because ultimately God is king.
1: Mm. I think that that is so key that's so insightful and i think that's the difference between bearing christ out into the world and deciding to be a culture warrior (laughs) you know that one of them is saying i'm going to faithfully try to offer christ to the world Mm -hmm. and the other one is saying i have to control what happens next you know i think there's that little distinction there um and I, I think for me, you know, COVID was such a such a sense of complete lack of control, just overwhelming and debilitating loss of control. And I have gone back and read Pope Francis's address before he gave the Irby at Orby yeah. benediction um, on that empty, rainy night uh, out on St. Peter's Square. And... I've read it over and over because he talks about that feeling of fear and that feeling of no control and abandonment that the disciples had when they were in the boat in the storm and Jesus was asleep. And that feeling of, oh, no one's, you know, God isn't here taking care of me. And these reminders that, you know, he is in the boat with us, he is there with us. And he's not going to leave us alone in the storm. He's not going to abandon us. And that image has just stuck with me so much because all of us experience times when we're not in control of our lives. But I don't think we've all experienced that moment at the same time <laughs> together <laughs> like we did um, in the in the past year. And so that I think that's a journey that all of us had to take. But just coming back to that image of, Christ is in the boat with us, mm-hmm. and it's not that there's no storm, but we don't have to fear because He's in the boat with us. And there is a, there is a bigger journey ahead. This isn't this isn't the end of this journey. At
0: least in this story uh, of of the disciples in the boat and the storm coming up, their response was one of despair. Uh, don't you care if we die? Uh, but it was at least an appeal to the one who mattered. I mean, I I look so often in the other places in salvation history at the times when the promise didn't look like it was being fulfilled and, and at the, the main characters attempt to wrest control away. So you have Abraham and Sarah who are promised a child and it didn't seem to be happening. And so they went and they did their own thing. Right. Uh, You, over and over throughout salvation history, you have this, this uh, story repeat of, well, you know, if God's not going to do it, uh, I guess I've got to go out and do it. Um, and for us to be able to, uh, to have that faith in God uh, that we see in King David, who when everyone was trying to get him to, uh, to fit the world's picture, of putting on the right armor and going out and fighting because he's the only one brave enough to do it. Uh, he steps back and says no this this all hinges on whether or not God is going to go out there with me, right? If if I'm going to go out loaded for bear, putting on the world's armor to engage in these in these conversations, in really important conversations, then ultimately God's going to say good job, have fun, be well. And he's going to kind of hang back and watch. It's when we strip off the armor and, and go in with the unconventional weapon, as it were, like King David, that then God goes to battle with us. Same thing with like a, the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, where God disperses the, the entire army that Gideon had for the people of Israel. And said, okay, you take 300 people and trumpets and water pitchers and torches. There you go. That's that's your battle equipment. And it's in those off-the-wall fights that God is present and, and stands with his people. And I think that we have to put down our conventional warfare and say, what are these odd weapons that God's asking me to pick up so that he can get the credit and he can fight the battle?
1: Mm yeah, that's a great insight. I mean, in some ways, the whole Old Testament is people not turning to Christ in the boat. <laughs> You're turning in the wrong direction again and again in you know the golden calf in the wilderness, and you know over and over again. And um yeah, that's a that's a great insight that if we're still trying to control everything, we leave. We don't leave the room for God to come in and and work in us,
0: well, and God won't share his glory, right uh, he, he will He makes us partakers in His nature. He gives us a share of that, but he's not going to say, oh well, yeah, you did you did your part. God always gets the glory for for his action, and so I think we have to to let go of our uh, our demands for being recognized right. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, you know, Colossians 3 says that um, we have been hidden in God with Christ, right? And that's our proper place.
1: And when we look to the lives of the saints, it seems that that's what we see again and again is people who are willing to be hidden in Christ, um, these aren't people who just want to go out and tell everyone this mystical vision they just saw. Guys, guys, listen, you know, God just gave <laughs> me this mystical vision. Like the saints are always like, I'm not telling anybody unless my <laughs> competitor makes me, right? you know? Um, and, and so, and it's stories of people who had faith that despite everything, you know, despite their position, despite their flaws, despite all the things that would hold them back, that um, they had the faith that God was going to work. And that kind of, not that the saints never experienced feelings of anxiety, because we know that's not true at all. But there is this kind of peace that you see in the lives of the saints that is hard to even comprehend, Mm -hmm. considering the suffering that they faced in their lives.
0: We're talking today with Haley Stewart, who is a fellow at the Word on Fire Institute. So, as you're bringing up these uh, these lives of the saints, you've got one I know that's kind of first and foremost in your mind that popped in as the example before you generalized it. So let's jump to that specific. What's the sure. saint that gives you um, courage and and really something to aspire to as as that? picture of holiness and of a specific way of living out that holiness.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, to bring things full circle back to Word on Fire Institute book club that we talked about earlier, the last book we read was Story of a Soul by St. Therese of Lisieux, and I had never read it before, so it was my first time, and I had never really connected with St. Therese before, Um, but then reading her autobiography, her spiritual autobiography, and seeing just how completely and utterly surrendered she was to the will of God in every possible way and her complete desire to be hidden in Christ. Mm-hmm. To the point, you she's 15 years old. She enters the cloister when she's 15. She never leaves again. All she does is you know love her fellow nuns and pray and write letters and pray and pray and pray. And pray. And yet she becomes one of the most influential modern saints, you know, just thinking of how, how many people have read her autobiography, how many people ask for her intercession. And she didn't ask for any of that. She was just faithful to God's call. Um, I think so often we have in our heads, I've you touched on this before, like we have things have to go this way. I have to do this for God, or um, these are the results that have to happen if I'm faithful. And I think in the saints, we see again and again completely unexpected results that they would never have anticipated, could never have imagined, and weren't even asking for. And they were just being faithful. And I think about Saint Benedict starting the the Benedictine order, you know, writing the holy rule and how, yeah, he kind of did save Western civilization, but that isn't what he planned to do. So he just wanted to serve God. He just wanted to be holy. And so when we kind of decide, like, I don't know, I I have a love-hate relationship with the Benedict option, but when we think like, oh, we've got to do this to save civilization. And if we do it just like St. Benedict, that wasn't what he was setting out to do. He just wanted to be faithful. And that's what God did with his faithfulness.
0: I love these two stories because they are almost diametrically opposed. So, with uh, with Saint Therese, at at age fifteen, she entered the convent. But she only entered the convent; they weren't going to let her in. She's too young. She only entered the convent because at fourteen, she went uh, to Rome on a trip, and in a receiving line with the Pope, begged him against everyone else's instructions for for them to let her in. Right. So she wanted this thing so bad. She wanted that connection. To, to God through this religious order. St. Benedict, on the other hand, he just wanted to get away from everybody, right? He would have been perfectly fine during quarantine lockdown. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> it was it was the other people who saw his holiness of life that kind of twisted his arm into creating a rule for them. And it didn't go so well the first time around because they tried to poison him. Uh, it wasn't until... Uh, maybe that experience helped form him a little bit in in his way of uh, of then sta- saying that you have to be gentle enough not to, to bruise the weakest one, but challenging enough uh, to bring challenge to the strongest one. But uh, you have these two people who both desired to seek after God but had very different ideas of what that was going to look like. One deeply desiring the vocation that she ended up in. The other, not so much.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that what they each desired was holiness, was to be completely united with Christ. And then how that played out was incredibly different. And I, I think that's what I love about the saints, too, is just the variety of the saints. They're completely different personalities. They're different gifts. They're different preferences. And becoming fully the people God created them to be. You know, we see these human beings who are fully alive and yet completely different from each other.
0: Yeah. We're talking today with Haley Stewart, who is a fellow for the Word on Fire Institute. Learn more at wordonfire.institute. It's not a .com. Wordonfire.institute. Be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Tell me a little bit about how your life has been shaped for the better through your experience this last year. There's much more to my conversation with Haley Stewart right after this. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we're talking today with Haley Stewart. She's a fellow at the Word on Fire Institute, a podcaster, uh, Fountains of Carrots, uh, author of the book, Grace, the Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture. It's a fantastic book. Uh, and you can find some of her older writing uh, on the um, Carrots for Michaelmas blog, carrots for Her current writing is mostly right now on the Word on Fire blog. So glad to have you back on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So we talked about the lives of the saints and and, uh, how they inspire us to live out lives of holiness and specifically to pursue holiness. Going back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you, right? That doesn't mean that we can sit back and do nothing and expect everything to be added unto us. We do have to seek first the kingdom of God, and then those other things happen. So there's still work to be done. Um, but that's well and good for us as adults. But we're also parents, right? We we just now endured a pandemic lockdown on our own, but we also watched our children go through it, and they were, handled it in very different ways sometimes than we adults did. Um because they lost a larger percentage of their life, right? When, they, when you lose a year and you're 10, it's, a, it's quite a bit different than when you lose it and you're 40, right? So here they're trying to grapple with the world as it is now and trying to come to an understanding of what that means for their lives now. How do we give them, specifically those younger elementary ages that are very concrete in their thinking, how do we give them these pieces of of faith to cultivate their belief in the Eucharist, cultivate their love for God um when everything around them that would typically give them those tangible signs was taken away from them
1: uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think we all experienced such a weird season, especially when churches were closed. Mm-hmm. We couldn't go, you know, that Easter that didn't feel quite like Easter. None of us could go and and worship together. Um, but it was interesting to me. We watched daily mass from Bishop Barron's Chapel during those weeks. And... I found it incredibly comforting to you know, watch the mass and make spiritual communion. But I was surprised how into it my kids were because they're not perfect at mass, you know, they're they're kids, they're not perfect at mass. And they weren't perfect watching mass on TV either, but they wanted they wanted to watch with me, you know, and we'd all come into the living room together. And I could tell that to for them it was consoling. And they felt great comfort watching the mass, making an act of spiritual communion. And so, I think so much of it's so easy to want to think of um, programming when we think about offering yeah. our kids the faith. And there's good stuff out there, you know. I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss that as as unimportant. But I think so much of it just comes down to engaging our children with us, engaging our faith, letting them see us engaged in our faith, um, letting them see that, oh yeah, we're we're up before the kids and we're reading scripture, or we're gonna read the daily mass readings over breakfast. We're doing this together and then getting to see that this is actually important to my parents. Mm -hmm. I think that that is just so key. If our kids are looking at us and they can't see, my parents really do believe that. then we're going to have a really hard time communicating the faith, no matter what, how great the program is that we're using to try to catechize.
0: You mentioned that your kids aren't perfect in mass, and they're certainly not perfect watching uh, the the live stream. And of course, I would say the same thing about our house. Um, But I think that very often, perfect can be the enemy of good right? We, we want our kids to just get it right. You, you, uh, you five-year-old, you're old, you're old enough, right? Come on. You need to kneel at the right times and pray, you know, the words of these prayer, pray this prayer. And we can, so again, going back to that thing we said in the last segment, we can so try to control it, um, that, that we end up missing the bigger thing. And there's something about just letting the rhythms of prayer, uh, be a part of their lives that I think makes a difference. Looking at the lives of the saints, uh, Louis and zelie Martin, um, the, the parents of St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, they had both wanted to enter into religious life uh, on their own right and were unable to, and then they they ended up married, and they still kept up these prayers uh, that, that they would have had had they gone into the religious life. They had a place for it. They had a specific room and a place where they would pray, and they would let the kids know, you can't bother us while we're praying. You can't bother me while I'm praying, but you can come in and sit with me while I'm praying. Right. So if you want to be near mom or be near dad during this time, then you can sit with me in the prayer. Are they going to be perfect? No. Are they going to interrupt you 500 times? Probably. Um, but just continue and let those waves roll over them because that's the the thing that ultimately will make the difference. So the water shapes the rock, right, as the waves roll over.
1: And I've I've been thinking a lot lately about how different my approach to dealing with in mass has changed, like how much I've changed as a parent Mm -hmm. from my first kid to my fourth kid. You know, my first kid, I was like, you no, we're all kneeling right now. You've <laughs> got to kneel. You've got to be real still. or We're going to have to take you out if you're, you know, being at all distracted. I was hyper aware of anything that he was doing that might distract anyone around me. You know, just very wanting to make sure that he knew how to do it right. Mm-hmm. And that is not at all the way I am with our fourth. You know, now I'm, I'm like, we're going to go see Jesus. He's going to be so excited to see you. We're going to mass. You can snuggle with me or you can snuggle with dad. As long as you're not loud, you can kind of wander between the two of us across the pew, sitting in my lap, wandering over and sitting in his. You have a little bit of freedom of movement, but you know, we're all so excited to be at mass. You are so welcome here. And this is a time that you feel safe and excited and happy and That this is your spiritual home. You know, that's what I want to communicate to her as a toddler. And I don't really care if she wiggles or not at this point. And so it's just interesting, like as I matured as a parent, seeing, you know, what do I want to be communicating is happening in the mass. I want you to know that we're here to see Jesus. And oh my gosh, there he is now. It's it's the consecration, there he is. And It's been interesting when we first got to come back to mass for the first time in person. She we walked in, and my daughter was like, "Jesus is here!" You know, she's so she's two, and she was so excited. And then the consecration, and she just yelled out, "Jesus bread!" You know, (laughs) and and I'm like, "She gets it," you know. Yes, of course I'm going to tell her like we're going to be quiet now because it's mass, but I'm not going to sweat it because. She has every right to be there, and she is um, learning what really matters, Mm -hmm. what what I really want her to hold on to, whether she is kneeling at the right time or is staying still or not.
0: Like a good Catholic, I'm not going to know exactly where this passage is from. I believe it's out of the Psalms, where it says that out of the mouths of infants, God has ordained praise. Right? And so... Is she saying shouting out to everyone, Jesus? Bread, uh, yeah. You know that it's a little bit disruptive, but it's catechetically disruptive. So it, you know, I think it might. I think it's probably okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It's so interesting because it—it's always fascinating to me how much it matters to children. Like, sure, they don't get it all the details, mm-hmm. but they do understand something profound and astonishing and incredible. It's happening. And we were at, we're in line for confession. And she spotted another little two year old girl and they were chit chatting about their baby dolls. We're trying to keep them quiet in line for confession because people were praying. And my daughter tells the other girl, she points to the crucifix and she goes, Jesus died on the cross, but he is all better now (laughs) and they were just like wow you know two-year-olds are like looking at it trying to wrap their minds around this but i just love that she was like okay here we are in math what is the coolest thing i could tell this other kid to impress them right you know and it's just kind of beautiful
0: so before we go uh, i know that you've got a couple of projects coming up and i want to hear about those and they they in some ways play into this of how do we pass on the faith to our kids some of the way that we do that is by not being super explicit, uh, but by following the, the literary greats who couched the truth and goodness and beauty uh, in stories. So tell, tell me a little bit about these projects that are coming
1: up. Sure. Um, so I have always been a nonfiction writer. I have never written fiction until lockdown. At, <laughs> during lockdown, you know, we live in a small house. I've got lots of kids. It's loud. And we do not have a finished attic like it's not Mm -hmm. it is not somewhere that a human being would want to hang out. But I would go up there and hide from my family (laughs) sometimes so I could stay sane. And I started going up there and writing a children's book fiction, which I'd never written before. And the only reason I did it is because I actually came to me in a dream. Which sounds so like kooky, but I don't usually have like mystical dreams that give me ideas for books. But in this dream, there was an order of little mouse nuns who lived underneath the floorboards of G.K. Chesterton, the British Catholic writer's house in Beaconsfield in England. And I woke up and I was like telling my husband, Daniel mouse nuns. I had this, I have to write about mouse nuns. So this is this was my kind of COVID lockdown project, and it's a story about this order of nuns, and they run a school, and they solve crimes, and they're inspired by Father Brown, of course, to start solving crimes, and they ride little mouse-sized bicycles around, and it's just it was so fun. It's like it wrote itself. Like I just. I, I was, I had never done it before and it just kind of, I feel like it happened to me more than I wrote it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm really looking forward to this because when I was a kid, Ralph S. Mouse was my favorite thing ever. Right. So the, the idea of being able to continue, you know, you've also got like the, the Mrs. Frisbee and the rats of Nam. like these were my, these were my stories growing up. So being able to enter back into that small diminutive world, uh, is something I'm quite looking forward to. So you've got that well, one, but you have another one yeah. as well.
1: I do. So um, next spring, so spring 2022, I have a book called Jane Austen's Genius Guide to Life and its um, subtitle. So we just figured out the the title. So the subtitle is On Love, Friendship and Becoming the Person God Called You to Be. So I'm a huge Jane Austen fan. I'm not a Jane Austen scholar, but I am big fan (laughs) and I reread her novels every year. And they really were the foundation. You you were talking about kind of forming our children's imaginations. Those were the novels that formed my understanding of virtue and character and the way that people should treat each other. And not meaning like the conventions of Regency Society, but more like what kind of person do I want to be and how would that person care for others and interact with others? And um So I go through the different novels as if Jane is kind of our life coach that is helping us to leading us to holiness, if you will. Um, And so that has been a lot of fun. That's been a lot of fun, too, because I've had the idea to write it for years and years and just finally made it happen.
0: So when when shall we expect those and where will we find them?
1: So the Jane Austen book is coming out spring 2022 from Ave Maria Press. And then the Mouse Nuns title is still not set in stone. So we're just kind of calling it Mouse Nuns for now. But Mouse Nuns is coming out in the fall of 2022 from the Pauline sisters. So that has been really fun because Mouse Nuns will be published by real human nuns.
0: (laughs) Uh, now, so the question is: Is that going to affect their habit? Are the mouse nuns, mm-hmm. uh, are the mouse nuns' habit going to be similar to the daughters of Saint Paul' habit?
1: Um, not quite. They are blue, but they're a robin's egg blue. We I created a little order distinctive to mice, okay. so they are the sisters of Our Lady Star of the Sea. They're the Stella Marisian sisters. All right, and oh. so they have these bright blue little habits.
0: Fantastic. We've been talking today with Haley Stewart. Find out more at her blog, com, or go to the Word on Fire uh, Institute website. It's wordonfire.institute. There's not a .com or a .org. It's wordonfire.institute. Haley, thanks for being with us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This was a
0: lot of fun. If you missed any part of my conversation with Haley, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. As always, we've got an extra segment, extra content available uh, from my conversation with Haley Stewart, available to all those who support the show through Patreon. While you're there at the OutsideTheWalls.com webpage, look up in the top right-hand corner of the page, and there you'll see a link that says... Patreon hyphen support the show. Click that link to learn more about our fantastic Patreon support community and learn how you can be the beneficiary of all these extra segments as well. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings today from scripture and church history. <phone rings> That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, giving you the riches of the magisterium alongside Scripture. Learn more at verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. When Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other shore. A scribe approached him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus answered him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But Jesus answered him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. And in the story, we have two different people who both approach Christ and seek to follow him, but leave rebuffed. First, you have a scribe, uh, someone who is learned, and St. John Chrysostom in the Catena Aria says of this person that he seeks to follow after Christ because of the signs that have just preceded this. He seeks to follow Christ because of the miracles and because of the prestige that seems to be associated with this thing. And and Christ tells him, basically, you're not going to find here what you are looking for, you're not going to find the prestige or the glory that you're looking for in the way you're looking for it. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. There's there's uh, there's nothing uh, prestigious about following me, he says. And then the next person says, well, I, I want to follow you wherever you go. Just first, let me take care of this one thing. In this case, it happens to be, let me bury my father, but coming back to it, it's always just that that one thing. Oh God, I want to follow after you, but let me do this thing on my own first. And this kind of goes back to what uh, Haley and I were talking about earlier in the episode of wanting to have some measure of control over what our holiness and our pursuit of holiness and our discipleship looks like. And Christ always calls us to something deeper. He says, you follow me, but let the dead bury the dead. Right? Th- as Christ tells them this, he doesn't say you go away anytime. He still invites them to come. Um, the question is, will they actually follow through with it? And I go back in my head to the story of the, uh, the young ruler who says, I've done all of the commands. I've kept them all. What more should I do? And Jesus says, sell all you have. And he goes away sad because of his great wealth. There's that one thing that he couldn't let go of. And Jesus knew what that was. And and Jesus knows what that thing is for you as well. <clears throat> What's that one thing that you hold back as you say, oh, I want holiness, but I have this thing that I, I'm not ready to let go of. Because that's exactly the place that Christ will take you first. He'll say, yes, this one thing. You follow me and this let this one thing take care of itself. And so this is a challenge for us Not to say, oh, I'd never be like that person because we're exactly like those people. We want holiness. We want to follow after God. But there's just these things that get in the way. So Holy Spirit, come and give us the strength to make it past those one things that we all have. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a homily by St. Gregory of Nyssa on the Beatitudes. In our human life, bodily health is a good thing, but this blessing consists not merely in knowing the causes of good health, but in actually enjoying it. If a man eulogizes good health and then eats food that has unhealthy effects, what good is his praise of health when he finds himself on a sick bed? Similarly, from the Lord saying, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. We are to learn that blessedness does not lie in knowing something about God, but rather in possessing God within oneself. I do not think these words mean that God will be seen face to face by the man who purifies the eye of his soul. Their sublime import is brought out more clearly, perhaps, in that other saying of the Lord's, the kingdom of God is within you. This teaches us that the man who cleanses his heart of every created thing and every evil desire will see the image of the divine nature in the beauty of his own soul. I believe the lesson summed up by the word in that short sentence was this. You men have within you a desire to behold the supreme good. Now, when you are told that the majesty of God is exalted above the heavens, that his glory is inexpressible, his beauty indescribable, and his nature transcendent, do not despair because you cannot behold the object of your desire. If, by a diligent life of virtue, you wash away the film of dirt that covers your heart, then the divine beauty will shine forth in you. Take a piece of iron as an illustration. Although it might have been black before, once the rust has been scraped off with a whetstone, it will begin to shine brilliantly and reflect the rays of the sun. So it is with the interior man, which is what the Lord means by the heart. Once a man removes from his soul the coating of filth that has formed on it through his sinful neglect, he will regain his likeness to his archetype. And be good. For what resembles the supreme good is itself good. If he then looks into himself, he will see the vision that he has longed for. This is the blessedness of the pure of heart. In seeing their own purity, they see the divine archetype mirrored in themselves. Those who look at the sun in a mirror, even if they do not look directly at the sky, see its radiance in the reflection just as truly as do those who look directly at the sun's orb. It is the same, says the Lord, with you. Even though you are unable to contemplate and see the inaccessible light, you will find what you seek within yourself, provided you return to the beauty and the grace of that image which was originally placed in you. For God is purity. He is free from sin and a stranger to all evil. If this can be said of you, then God will surely be within you. If your mind is untainted by any evil, free from sin and purified from all stain, then indeed are you blessed because your sight is keen and clear. Once purified, you see things that others cannot see. When the mist of sin no longer cloud the eye of your soul, you see that blessed vision clearly in the peace and purity of your own heart. That vision is nothing else than the holiness, the purity, the simplicity, and all the other glorious reflections of God's nature through which God himself is seen. That reading comes from a homily on the Beatitudes by St. Gregory of Nyssa. And this picture that he has there in the middle of it, this picture of iron, I think is a good one for us to look at because um, the iron in its natural state, when left to itself, uh, left out in the elements of the world, is going to get that dark patina. It's going to, uh, to lose its shine. And it takes maintenance and intentionality to keep that iron polished in such a way that it offers a reflection. So too for us, the the life of holiness is not one that just comes naturally to us or that some people are more naturally disposed to. The life of holiness takes intentionality of saying, I'm going to take the time to, to clean off everything that the uh, that hides this holiness, anything that creates a patina on my soul i 'm going to to buff out i 'm going to with fear and trembling approach God and say, "Point out the places in me that that i 'm not following you right so just like with these that said i 'll follow you wherever wherever you go and he says uh, well here 's the here 's the place that you 're not really willing to follow me, right Foxes have holes. Birds have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Let the dead go and bury the dead. He finds the one thing that we're not willing to let go of, and he says, I'd like that too, right? Give me that part as well, and then your following will be fruitful. Then you, as you pursue holiness, will come to live out holiness, and in that holiness of heart, you will see God. So this this is our invitation to say, Maybe the, the pandemic was a, a, a starting point for us to examine our lives and examine our priorities, but it can't be the only time that we do it. It can't be, oh, well, I, I did that back in 2020. I did that examination of conscience, and I, I reevaluated my priorities, and now I'm good. No, this is that continual process of conversion that says, okay, God today, where do you want me? What do you need from me? How do I follow you today? Because following is an ongoing process. There's, there's not a time that we quit following Jesus, right? Every day, he draws us into a deeper experience of his presence. And sometimes that deeper experience of his presence comes from not really sensing him near us and feeling a little bit alone. Because he wants us to look deeply and find that he is always with us, even to the end of the age. And so for us to tune our eyes and tune our ears to a place where we can see God and hear God and let go of those things that tangle us up and let go of those things that cast a patina on our soul so that as we are made holy, not only will we see God, but those who are around us will see the reflection of his glory in and through our lives So if there were to be homework this week, it would be this. Put yourself in that story of the two who are purporting to come and follow Christ and say, Lord, I will follow you anywhere. And then listen for his voice, pointing out that one thing, that next thing that needs to be purified, that needs to be cleansed, and ask for the grace and the strength to let it go and to follow fully. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Brandy Carey and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. Join us over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you E